Are you ready? Okay, Smokey. Roll him. <laughs> That's silly. Shoot him now! Shoot him now! Hello, everyone, and welcome to That's Not Quite All Folks, a Lean Tune podcast. I'm your host, Mark Hallam, joined by... And I'm Jordan Schmidt. And in order to prep for a forthcoming movie episode, which, by the way, how it's flown, it feels like we just did our movie episode, um, we are going to be looking back at a post-Golden Age Looney Tunes television show that we covered briefly, and... In my opinion, maybe we didn't get the most clear portrait of what the show could do at its peak. And that is Tiny Toon Adventures. Because we covered the pilot, and we covered a let's throw some music ideas at the wall episode. And neither of them really felt like a room tone Tiny Toons episode. So we figured we would cover some room tone Tiny Toons episodes. And as you'll find out, um, we have some <laughs> thoughts on those as well. Yes, indeed. You know, it's funny. It didn't occur to me till now. Yeah, you're right. We we really haven't looked at a normal tight like we looked at normal every other TV show. Yeah, but never like like a regular Time Tune Adventures episode. So uh, these are two episodes, both for, from the first season. That are um, typical of, uh, I believe typical, of what the show was. Yeah. And in some ways, it's good. Other ways, it's... Not as good. Not as good. No. So, yeah. But uh, that's what we're going to be looking at today. Yeah. So, the episodes we'll be analyzing are... Who Bopped Bugs Bunny... And Hero Hampton. Yeah, and um, we, we've accumulated these for a number of reasons. One of them I think, Mark, you had an attachment to when you were first watching this yes, show for a little bit. Another one uh, for some other reasons that we're going to get to when we get into it. Um, but yeah, no, we, we picked... And these are both season one episodes. These are both um, Charlie Adler uh, Buster episodes. We didn't get into the John Kassir ones. Um, these are relatively early. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. Um, Actually, maybe next week. I don't know, dude. Oh, yeah. That is John Kassir. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Okay. There we go. Very soon. All right. Very very soon. Fine. You know. (laughs) Now I know what the opening for that episode is going to be. Yeah, no. Yeah, these are from early enough in the run, uh, from season one, early 90s. And... uh, an excuse to see these before they got to be too well what they were when we covered the first one. <laughs> that sentence ran yeah. away from me there. Uh, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Um, so before we dive into our first episode, Jordan, would you like to tell the public what you had to do in order to find these Tangent Adventures episodes? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> when we covered this back in... Um, a million years ago when we covered the first two, um, we could find these on Hulu or on Prime Video or something sensible like that. I can't really do that anymore. And we had to go to 
different means to find these. I mean, Mark, you're very you're a lot more resourceful than me when it comes to finding media like this. The only rips I could find in these episodes, one of which was an inverted flip, which means it was backwards, and it was zoomed in a little bit, and the other one was in Belgian. I don't speak no. Belgian. I don't even speak French. So that would have been very difficult. And just for fun, uh, hey, um, Adam, Mark, can, we, can you please put the title of Vector's theme but in Belgium? No! Belgium. It's just France, but a little less. <laughs> yes. So we had to find them. Now listen, th- this episode's coming out in August. Um, Titan University, the, the re- revival series, is coming out around that time. Yeah. So, who knows? Maybe by the time the episode comes out, they finally put... Um, Tiny Tune Adventures and Animaniacs and Pete the Brain all up on Max as a promotion tool. Well, let's just do that for, for just, just in case. So, um, this episode, or Tiny uh, Tune Adventures, <laughs> Tiny Tune Adventures is currently streaming on Max. <laughs> Also, uh, (laughs) sad editor Mark, uh, is is that also your favorite, uh, character in Tiny Toon Adventures? No. (laughs) Thank you. It's not mine either, as we'll get to in the second one. Um, but, (laughs) yeah, this may be on streaming when this shows up, but who knows. Anyway, yeah, your, your episode. So, um, no, actually, one more thing. Um, so when I found my rip... For this episode, it was a Nicktoons airing. Yeah. Now, what I find really fun about that is, you know, like, yeah, yes, we grew up with Kids WB. I have the memories of catching a Tiny Toons or an, or an Animaniacs on Kids WB. But when Nickelodeon got the streaming rights to essentially all the Amblin productions, that's a lot of where my core cool memories come from. So finding a, a Nicktoons rip of this first episode, I'm like, oh, this is the ultimate nostalgia right here. Yeah. This is great. I like this. We used to be a proper country. Um, <laughs> yeah, back when Nicktoons existed, yeah, or existed in its proper form. You know. Well, yeah, yeah, when instead of being a graveyard where shows go to die. Anyways. Yeah. What, like Max? Um. <laughs> yes. All right. Nickelodeon did it before was cool. Um, <laughs> Alright, so this episode here, it's Who Bumped Bugs Bunny. It came out on December 14th, 1990. Guards were having on that day on the music charts. I love doing these. Um, the number one song in the US was Because I Love You, the Postman song oh. by Stevie B. Oh. I don't is like that, that a song. bad song? Uh, I don't know what that song is. I, I didn't bother looking it up. When it's, I was doing um, it. um, 
I'll, I'll, I'll say this to you. It may not make sense in our, in our um, 20 or our viewers. Uh, you remember back when Todd in the Shadows used to do his um, worst songs of uh, insert year here? He did one in of oh, 1990, yeah. and number two on that list was Because I Loved You, the Postman song. Oh, oh, I'm seeing the preview video right now. Yes. Yeah, okay. Very bad. That's... Mm. UK do any better? Well, actually, the UK had um, Ice Ice Baby. So you know what? Yeah, they did do better. They did, and also Chadeska's. You know, um, I will say because it was number three in the U.S. was "I'm Your Baby Tonight" by Whitney Houston. Okay. Number two was "From a Distance" by Beth Midler. <sighs> that was also on that list. <laughs> number four was "More Than Words Can Say" by Alias, and number five was "High Enough" by Damn Yankees. Damn and, Yankees uh, made the 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 top Hot One Hundred. Yeah, the five. All right. Cool. Fiber, man. And uh, the UK, our number four, got You Lost the Loving Feeling by the Righteous Brothers because Ghost was out that year. Yeah, because that, that shows up on mine as well. And oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I was, I was going to like do like a pop quiz. Why was that in the charts, Mark? And yeah, no, it's because Ghost was yeah, in Ghost. And Ghost. Ghost brought that song back. And it's a good song. As a matter of fact, uh, Unchained Melody. You, wait, you said you said it was Unchained Melody, right? Not not you lost that love and feeling. No, 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 no. It was it was you lost that love and feeling. We'll uh, circle back to this uh, oh in, in mind. Okay. No, 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 Mark. Here's the thing. You lost Fine. that loving feeling is the song from Top Gun. Unchained Melody is the song from Ghost. Yes, which they reissued back on the charts based off the success of Ghost. So they did both the Righteous Brothers they songs. They did. They reissued both songs initially because of Unchained Melody and Ghost. They're like, wow, the Righteous Brothers are hot right now. Hey, let's reissue you also loving feeling. I don't know, man. It's 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 like Kate Bush with uh, Running Up That Hill. It was weird. Yeah. Okay. This episode was directed by Kent Butterworth. Which is an awesome name. Uh, written by Paul Dini, Earl Cress, and Sherry Stoner. Yes, all good people. All really good writers. This episode's title is a send-up of the movie Who Framed Roger Rabbit. No, And really? it's funny because without Who Framed Roger Rabbit, we wouldn't even have this series. Yeah. Main, uh, the, the main um, antagonist of this, uh, Sappy Stanley, or Sloppy Stanley, or whatever... Um, is a parody of a Terry Toons character called Sidney the Elephant, also known as Silly Sidney. In 1958, Sidney's family tree was nominated for an Oscar and lost to Nine Night Bugs. So this is an episode plot based in reality. Wow! Yeah! Here, here I thought they were just... what I thought it was, was, um, yeah. oh, uh, you know, a uh, comedian type that does, that moves to France and, and becomes a, a superstar in France. I thought they were doing Jerry Lewis. No, they were saying all those jokes for the other Amblin animated series oh, yeah. at the time. <laughs> sure. But, um, yeah. And you know, it's funny because, okay... They need, I guess, because they were doing this, we're like, okay, well, we need, 
We need a comedian to voice this guy. It can't just be uh, our crew. So who? So who do they get? But Jonathan Winters, beloved <sighs> comedian Jonathan Winters, the greatest, who can now say that he's worked with Looney Tunes and Rocky and Bullwinkle. What a he's career! Worked with everybody, yeah. Um, Jonathan, I don't know if I gushed about him that much in the in the Rocky and Bullwinkle commentary. I must you have because he's great. Jonathan Winters. One of the most foundational stand-ups of his time. Uh, like, we wouldn't have somebody like Robin Williams without Jonathan Winters. Somebody who's that manic and that everywhere and that wonderful. And like the fact that he lived long enough to also... Wasn't he in Wasn't he in both the um, 2010 Smurfs movies as, as Papa Smurf? He voiced Papa Smurf. Yeah. And, and yeah, he did Papa Smurf in both those movies. Yeah. So he's a Smurf, voiced himself in a Looney Tunes production... And worked with Rocky and Bullwinkle. He's he's a literal live action cartoon, and he got to work with the three most classic cartoon characters of his uh, mo. Hell of a career. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm I do really like Jonathan uh, Winter, so that's great. And this is a very loony episode of Tangent Adventures. Uh, usually, there's usually one or two Looney Tune characters in an episode of Tiny Tune Adventures. But uh, here we have a bunch. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's really cool. It yeah. is. So, we begin our episode in the best way possible by showing Nighty Night Bugs. Yeah. Nighty Night Bugs is our inciting incident. Which, hey, this is 1991, so Frizz probably either had to give the AOK for or went, oh, that, that, that's funny. That's nice. Okay. <laughs> no, he's not angry anymore. <laughs> that was last week. This is my happy voice. Yeah. That's like your angry voice. I know. Um. So, and we get the introduction to this um this elephant character who's very much like he's very bitter. It's like, oh, yeah. that hack Bugs Bunny. He's not all that good. I'll show him. Yeah. Takes off a, a carpet, and it's another younger version of him. And you're like, "What the hell's going on?" Yeah, as um, he's a mad scientist. <laughs> That's what it looks like. Here's the thing, because one of the things we're gonna get into in this cartoon is that it's a mystery where they show us the mystery and they show us how you know who done it, and then they have. Our heroes and how they do it. Yeah, and while I will get to why I think they did that later on, it's still like like throwing us into it here and you know bringing us in cold from this perspective rather than you know Buster and Babs and, and giving a shroud of mystery into it. It's an inspired choice. I mean, usually you do something like this to make sure that you side with the villain character. I mean, that's honestly why how, how Columbo would do it, you know. But um, here it's just like, okay, why are we... It doesn't make sense yet because the thing hasn't happened yet and we just know that... We know full well, okay, this is probably the villain and we're just seeing this as... It's not the way I would have gone about this. No, because why you call it who bought Bugs Bunny in the first two seconds you go, it's probably that guy... <laughs> Probably him. Was the rejected title, Who Bopped Box Bunny? I'll tell you. 
It's this guy. I'll tell you, folks. That's Bella right here. So, we then go into... And, and, and now I'll say, this entire short takes place in Paris. Yeah. That's nice. I like that. It's a, it's a different location. The, the, the theme song said takes place in uh, Acme University. It don't. It it's doesn't. Hollywood, France. Exactly. As, and and Pepe Le Pew's the announcer. Yeah. He does good. It's Jeff Burson as Pepe. Yeah. Which is pretty fitting, honestly. We then essentially get a slightly funnier, more quicker version of the of the Looney Tunes entering the theater bit from the Lulu Lee Bugs Bunny movie. Yeah, without Frank Welker as as the dog, which knowing this show, I'm glad Frank Welker isn't in this bit. No. So all, all, all the Looney Tune characters come in, they bounce out of the limo. It's very fun. And then just Pepe going, and now our bread, it's literally the show going, and here's our new characters, which I'm pretty sure that was the whole antithesis of Spielberg's idea. It's like, no, I don't want to make new Looney Tunes. I just want to make different characters. And yeah. this episode being like, here's our new characters, essentially. It's like, ta-da. But, <laughs> and you know, they're, they're shown to a tiny car. They're walking in. They're like, yay, hi, hi, okay, all right. Where's your seats? We'll go get them. Yeah. As as it turns out, their seat up in the nosebleeds are like all the way up entirely. Yeah, it's it's it again. It's it's basically the the writers essentially like poking fun at how they were viewed versus the actual movie project. It's like okay, we're 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 not there yet, but we're getting there. As evidenced by this year, they eventually got there. Yes. Um. All right, so uh, we then cut to backstage. And, and it just confirms that it was Sherry Stoner. It, it, it was it was the Tiny Toons people who went, let's call Stan Freeberg. Let's yes. get Stan Freeberg. Because it's Pete Puma. Make sure everyone's, everyone's ready to go. It's Stan voicing him. And it's just, it's nice. It's oh, really, yeah. I, I literally wrote in my notes, Stan! Five minutes, Mr. Bunny. Thanks, <laughs> uh, Doc. Mr. Gaffney, <laughs> I'm coming. It's an easy Bugs versus Daffy joke, but goddamn, works so well. Just like, yeah. hey, Mr. Bunny, you ready? Okay, good. Okay, Mr. Duck, and just the sign comes off. It says janitor. He's in the janitor's closet. Of course, <laughs> of course, he is. He falls out. He's like, this is no way to treat a duck. Which, yeah. Ugh. As um, as Daffy. Here's Bugs in his dressing room, sounding like he's loving a partner. And Daffy's like, ooh, this I gotta see. And then looks through the keyhole, which Daffy, what the hell? Okay. Are you that desperate? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that this episode and also the Tiny Toons gets right is the Bugs and Daffy dynamic and this whole bit. Where it's it's Jeff Bergman as both Bugs and Daffy and doing them really well. Just so it it gets the dynamic really well and just how well they work off each other. And it's I mean obviously this isn't the object of the show. The object of the show is you know Buster and Babs and all those guys. But they can do this really well even if they're not fully a Looney Tunes like even if this isn't their day job. You know they're still good at this. And the animation here when Daffy walks into Bugs' room, it's a little wonky. The heads are a little bit too big. But, you know, 
TV animation. What are you gonna do? That's not the worst that it gets in this block. Trust me, folks. Um, mm-hmm. then we get. So while while they're doing this shtick, Slappy the uh, no, not Slappy the squirrel. Slappy Stewart. <laughs> no, it's it's a uh, Stanley. Sappy Stanley. Oh, yeah, Stanley. Much easier. Yeah. Um, he comes in and again just setting up his plan. You know, he he makes a mold out of the of the of the the Schlosker, That's what they call it because you know trademark. Um, you know, he makes a fake one, goes, oh, not so bad. I'm gonna hide it in my pockets. And he's also, he's the host of this event. Yeah. Which, I, when I first saw this, I'm like, why? But then it's like, well, okay, well, he's big in France, so technically speaking, he would be fitting to host a Bugs Bunny tribute. It'd be like if Chris Hardwick, to, oh, no. And so, Stanley calls out Daffy. I do like this, where he, he gets Daffy um, to, to essentially be pissed off that Bugs is getting this accomplishment, that he doesn't need it, that Daffy deserves it. Why can't he have it? You know, Stan, Bugs already has a Slasker. So uh, why don't you give the Jerry to someone who really deserves it? Like moi, for instance. Yes, yes. Everybody knows you're jealous of Bugs. I mean, he gets so big during that argue- arguing bit, though, as Daffy. Yeah, and um, uh, I do love it starts with him just saying, like, well, you know, uh, Robin Hood Daffy wasn't mm. even nominated. That's a good one. I'm like, yes, I agree. Oh, Daffy is fucking amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the writers respect both the characters and the lore they behind do. them, and and they this do. whole episode is about the characters winning Oscars for these shorts rather than the filmmakers. And so you get discourse about, oh, Bugs won one for Ninety Nine Bugs, but Daffy couldn't win one for Robin Hood Daffy. And this is real discourse that fans could have at this at this point in time and now. And and it's really fascinating to see these characters themselves actually do it. And as you said earlier, to delve into an actual person that was beaten by Bugs Bunny at the Oscars. So he sets up this mechanism where he does <clears throat> a, a trap door he goes through and then a robot he made kicks in so the robot's up on the stage as he goes away because he tucked the because he went into Bugs, into Daffy's dressing room, which has a mirror that goes into Bugs's room, where he was able to... St- It'd be a lot more effective if we found this out um, as the mystery was uncovered, rather than it just being thrown at us right now. So, he, he steals the real Schlosker, takes it, replaces it with a fake one, gives the fake one to Daffy, and he frames Daffy Duck. Yeah. Which is at least a, a decent plot. It's just like, okay, this is this is all happened. I understand why it's happening. It's just like, okay, what can the Tiny Toons guys do with it? And that's where we cut the commercial. It's literally yeah. like, okay, well, what would the Tiny Toons do about it? Just, well, well, we have to because Bugs has our, has our uh, flight fair. Has our I like on. that one. That's a, that's a very Animaniacs-y kind of... I mean, yeah, very Sherry Stoner. It's like, okay, we need a re- an actual reason as to why... Like, they would actually want to stay in Paris. And it was like, okay, we have to. You know, they have our tickets. Which, <laughs> the fact that I said it like Rob Paulson, I think it's like, okay, yeah, it's very Sherry Stonery. 
So, um, yeah. yeah, and all this is in like seven minutes. Yeah, it's very fast. It is very fast. Uh, almost to the detriment of the episode. No, Anyways, no. Um, so we get the reveal. Nope, not the reveal. We go back to Stanley's house, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah we, we go do. back to uh, Stanley's house, and he's you know he's relaxed. He's done it. As um as the, uh, oh oh yeah oh, sorry yeah he's, he's relaxing. He hears uh, a knock on the door and goes, "Oh, fans!" Goes to the door, opens it. There's Buster and Babs. He immediately puts on uh, Stanley merchandise. Goes, "Hey, do you want yeah. to see me do the coconut?" Gag. Yeah. The buster going like, no, 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 we are not fans of you. You're not. I love that. Yeah, because yeah. oh, yeah, Jonathan does this voice that Stanley does. It's like this cutesy, like innocent voice. So it is a great turn where it goes from that to Jonathan Winters pissed off. Would you like to see me do the coconut bit? Oh, no, no, no. We're not fans. You're not? No. We wanted to talk to you about Bugs Bunny. I already told the police everything I know. Now beat it. Again, he gets what this character needs to be, and I, I, he has a really good yeah. read in this. And he kicks him out. And as Stanley walks through his very nice house, it's big, bombastic. There's random-ass rooms everywhere. I like that, yeah. Uh, my shapes he's got to squeeze into. Yes. Also, it's around here where, you know, he's just like, oh, who are you? Oh, we're Buster, we're Buster Bounce Bunny. No relation. Not anymore, you ain't! <laughs> you had one job with Warner Brothers. One job. Oh, Have fun! <laughs> Have fun doing your your prom episode. No, no, no. It's no, college. No, so we'll no, go no. to prom. There was Have no fun prom with your college. clubbing episode. Anyways, um, oomch, 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 oomch. Hey, uh, Babs, what sort of club is this? I don't know. Get in there. Oomch, 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 oomch. Why are there cages? <laughs> no, no, no. You the the setup is like, hey, what kind of club is this one? I don't know. You find out. <laughs> oh, that's a nice kind of club. Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's the kind of joke they would do. All right. There we go. Prove us wrong, writers. Anyways. So, Slavy Stanley is walking through his house, and then we find out the Buster and Babs are broken in, and for the entire rest of this episode, they're going to be doing... Peter Falk Columbo impressions. Uh, excuse me, sir. Uh, just a few questions, if I may. You may not. It just occurred to me, sir. You didn't happen to see Bugs Bunny at all on the day of the award, did you? Yes, and he vanished. <laughs> I didn't know that. So I'm literally like, oh, oh, oh. They're doing Columbo. And then, Mark... Yeah. The one I was gonna say, like, because literally in my notes, I'm like, oh, why are they doing this now? Why are they, um, why are they showing us how he did it and then just uncovering it again? And then I realized, oh yeah, they're doing Columbo. 
That's how they would structure episodes of Columbo, where we would see how Donald Pleasance or whoever would commit the murder, and then we would just see Columbo just uncover it piece by piece and needle them into confessing and, and, and giving it away and going to jail. And doing that with Buster and Babs, first of all, that's a very Sherry Stoner idea. But it's also like fitting for a loony project. It's like, all right, their their powers is to needle and annoy until the, the ploy is finally made up. So it actually fits more than you might think. I mean, it doesn't completely solve all the problems I have with the way they gave us information, but it makes no. it make a little bit more sense. So that's their goal. They're going to play Columbo and see if he can admit, because they know he did. They're like, we're, we're like pretty sure that he uh, took care of bugs. They haven't given us any other suspects. No. Um, <laughs> no, I, I do like, I do because, because they get thrown out again and they're like, Oh, well, well, I'm sure that, um, Plucky and Hampton have a plan, cause they're still, they went to the jail to make sure Daffy's okay. As we cut to at nightfall, as Plucky and Hampton dressed up as ninjas come into the frame, to which I wrote down here, no, no, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on another channel. <laughs> that's not, um, that's not Kids WP. Not yet, at least. No. No. Not, not for, like, 13 years. But yeah. yeah. Um, we had this... It's in. It, it's very quick, but I do, like, just, you know, Plucky trying to get a sword and trying to knock at the uh, the lock to get into the into the jail. He, he, does, he hits it once. He falls. Alarms go off. <gasps> and they're immediately thrown into the jail cell with Daffy. I also like Plucky's line of, next time I'm getting Foghorn from my mentor. Don't! <laughs> also, I, I don't love that they literally have to say, oh, it's up to Buster and Babs now. Like, the kids can't figure that out for themselves. Yeah, like, like we were gone for 15 seconds. Yeah. They can comprehend 15 seconds of plot. Anyways, um... So we then get, you know, a kind of like a day in the life. Of um uh, of Stanley, this should have been the beginning. Yeah, this should have been how our episode started. <laughs> it just is because you know it, it, it's filming in Acme Studios, which had me going. Wait, but Warner Brothers also exists this universe, but it's also an Acme. Whatever, fine. Yeah, whatever. Um, okay. It's their French division. <laughs> it's it's Le Acme. Acme. Oh, just like a weird thing I noticed. Did you notice that? Cause there's a moment where like, like Stanley gets crowded or something, and there's a very nicely drawn animated woman just walks by the frame, like in the front. Hmm. Was that someone's girlfriend? Was that animated's girlfriend? Like, hey, babe, I'll put you, I'll put you in this episode of Tattoo Adventures. Look. Is that our vacation photos? Yeah, you like it? <laughs> Date a lawyer, my mother said. No, I had to go for the animator. Um, <laughs> At least I feel better about myself when I go to sleep. Yeah, so we then get this moment where, you know, he's on the set of his next uh, production, and the director is trying to explain the coconut gale. You're going to sit here, and then I'm going to throw the coconut. 
and he just blows up. I kind of think this is great. And honestly, this whole segment is Jonathan Winter's best performance in in the entire episode because it's big, it's funny, it's also a little bit scary. That's the thing. There is a little bit, yeah. He's he's intimidating and he's like good and and again it helps that he gets this and he understands what this needs to be that it needs to be both this 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 person who's trying to be funny but is actually kind of horrifyingly serious and and deliberate at times which is a lot of famous comedic performers I have to say and I think Jonathan Winters mm. knew what to channel in order to make this work while also still being a pretty good guy apparently so. I mean, that's a man who was on the set of It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. So I'm sure he, like, every day just, uh, huh. Which also had Stan Freeberg involved. <laughs> so, uh, that's... No, he was taking notes watching um, Milton Berle going, hmm, this guy really is an asshole. <laughs> Giant asshole, humongous dick. <laughs> it actually mean two things. <laughs> yep. And you know exactly which ones they are. Oh, man. <laughs> so, so we cut back to Buster and Babs, dressed up like Columbus. Oh, oh, actually, no, no. I see the roll out of stuff right there. I'm sorry. Um, so, Buster and Babs, again, as Columbo, they break, they're, they're, they're in the studio. And he's like, hey, listen, we just want to talk to you for a little bit about, yeah. uh, Bob's buddy. Because, you know, they messed the shot or something like that. And he's like, okay, fine, fine. Everybody leave. I'll take care of this. And, you know, we get detective work from Buster and Babs. Like, oh, well, uh, they eventually ask where his mother is. Because they, uh, mm. oh, 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 that's right, because they found the dress. Yeah. Right. Yeah, they found the dress that he wore to sneak backstage. And yeah. it's like, oh, no, that's my mother's. You gotta go talk to her. And then they go back to the house, which okay, I get it. It's kind of a limited animation budget, but well, they go, they go talk to they go talk to his mother's residence, I think, right? And it's it's like, um yeah. no, that's another robot. Oh, because sure? I, as soon no. as they leave, oh okay, as right, soon yeah. as they leave, he puts on this headset and speaks to the microphone, okay. and Jonathan Winter does a funny voice. That's my dress, that's it. Yes, that's my dress, and it's ruined thanks to you little scamps. I had to change in the janitor's office and missed my sunny boy's whole show. Uh, but terribly sorry, ma'am. Next time you get your facts straight before you accuse innocent elephants. Good day. And the robots never malfunction. Yes. This. Which, okay, they explain why, but I don't know, been funny just like, Okay, bye, bye, bye. And the door shuts, and they're like, Huh. That was Strange. weird. Yeah. Strange. Hmm. But no. So, it's at this point, they're like, Well, shit, I guess, I guess Stanley didn't do it. As we cut to Stanley laughing maniacally as we cut to commercial. Yeah. And we come back. And they're on a bench. They're, you know, because they watched the great Muppet Caper. <laughs> That's great. I, that works on so many levels. It's like, okay, yeah. what would Peter Falken do in this situation? Well, he'd probably sit down on a bench. 
The only thing that was missing is that, like, like while while they're sitting on the bench, Bugs' like image shows up next to them, and he's like, "Hey, listen, Bugs, we think the person who who bought you was a Porky Pig, Bugs. You know that that's amazing. Everything you said was told entirely wrong. Not a single statement that you." It's one of my favorite scenes in that movie. Where it's Peter Falk just tries to say something yeah. really profound, and Kermit just tells him off perfectly. <laughs> Peter, <laughs> Peter Falk. Um, yes. Who's also in It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Oh, yeah, he was a cab driver in that, yeah. yeah. Everybody's in that fucking movie. Um, yeah, but specifically three... Okay, well, one parody, but also two other people. I don't know, it, they knew what they were doing. Yeah. So... They're like, well, we don't know what to do. What should we do? And they look, and there's a whole movie theater called The Story of of, of, um, of Slappy Stanley. It's like, huh, well, I don't know about you, but I'm going to deviate myself with some entertainment. Yeah. As they, uh, they watch this movie. Exposition, the movie. It, it, it pretty much explains his entire uh, career. How ever since he was a child, coconuts were thrown at him. So he became an inventor, stopped coconuts being thrown at him. Then he became a movie star, where his most popular gag was coconuts being thrown at him. They repeated it a number of times with, which I got, I do like this gag of like, and his breaking from the form short, going to Alaska as just a bunch of penguins throwing coconuts at him as he's slipping on the ice. And, like, it was so revolutionary that that's what got him the uh, the Academy Award nomination. Which, yeah. to be fair, you could also argue with that when Night Night Bugs is like, well, it's just a really good Bugs Bunny cartoon. What's different about it? And it's like, well, Bugs deserved it. <laughs> I, I don't blame them for not giving him the Oscar. He did the same thing every time. I mean, at least Adam Sandler mixed it up by doing Uncut Gems. By the way, all of the little cartoons that they showed. Uh, the, the the slate four were directed by Tish Tash, so. Oh, that's yeah. fun. So that's pretty cool. That, that's a nice. Yeah. So he loses to Bugs Bunny for nine nine bugs, and he just goes, you know, I oh, forget this Hollywood. You love that Stuart Bugs Bunny. Screw this. I'm going to France. And now, now Jordan, you said, oh, that's um. It's Jerry Lewis. Oh, that's Jerry Lewis. I. I for some I for some reason thought it was Orson Welles for some reason. Not know, yet. <laughs> exactly, exactly. No, but, but just the just the idea that just seeing the room going. Okay, why would he leave America? Paul Dini walks in. Guys, I saw this documentary about Jerry Lewis. I got an idea. Like, oh, okay, yeah. Is that sure. Orson Welles? You mean? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Also, yeah. you can argue it's also the career path line of Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, but it's it's very funny the way you put that. Is like okay, we need a reason for that for him to not want to to, to him to want to leave America. It's like well, this is clearly the '90s where you needed to really search for a reason to want to get out of America. Twenty twenty three, you know, there's several reasons. You know. So that's there's their aha moment. He's an inventor. Like for some reason, Washington's they're like. There's our clues. Let's get this guy. Yeah. So they invite him to the theater. 
Stanley is excited. He goes in, accepts this award, and it's this so was okay. I haven't seen much Columbo. This moment right here was pure Columbo, where it he's was. like, "Here I am," and then just lone yep. clapping. <laughs> we cut back, and there they are with the line. It's just us, Stan, old man. <laughs> Sorry to do this to you. It's like, that's very Columbo-esque. It's extremely Columbo. And yeah, cl- clearly they, they'd seen enough, especially Shari Stoner, they'd seen enough Columbos to really get this down because it was great. So they, they find, they essentially walk through what he did and they have this conversation about the robots. Like, okay, well, it was the robots, clearly. That's how you're able to do this. And he's like, well, how do you know that? Oh, well, you see, we're also robots. Cut to their faces falling off. There's gears and stuff in there. Acme do-it-yourself robot kid. Uh, no kid should be without one. But yeah, no, it's it's a pretty simple undoing, and it just sort of turns into him. What is it? He, he tries to get away, and then they wind up in his car, and he they cause a car away. accident. Yeah. Yeah, he speeds away, leading to, I think, Jonathan Winters just improvising. I think so, but still good. <laughs> they'll never find that worthless rabbit, and they'll never get this award either. It's mine. Mine! I'm funnier than that hair-brained hair. I'm funnier than all of them, you understand? Just give me a table and some chairs, and I'll show you funny. You want funny? I'll show you. They go through the window, they go through the door, and we hear... Bugs off in the distance saying, please, please stop. A rabbit shouldn't be given to this torture. And it is revealed that Sloppy Stanley has tied Bugs Bunny down and forced him to watch all of his cartoons. <laughs> Which is the equivalent of tying up Chuck Jones and making him watch Seven Arts, I think. No, no, please. Oh, God. It's not funny. How about uh, an exploding pineapple? Please, please. I'll kill the fucking cat. <laughs> By the way. Before the before reading this, like, oh, it, it was a Terry Toon send up. I could have sworn this was also gonna be like a Seven Arts, you know, very simple plot, a repeated gag throughout each and every cartoon. Seems very similar. Of course, now we know with the new generation that the Seven Arts crew are now respected. Why? Anyways, um, no, 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 I'm. Uh, I'm sure they have a good reason to include Cool Cat and Merlin the Magic Mouse in a new iteration of Legends. I'm sure it's not going to be weird. Um, I will say, animation here throughout has been decent. The Bugs animation is fantastic when they turn it off and they ask Bugs, how are you? And Bugs is freaking out. Uh, essentially doing a, a hair-raising hair sort of yeah. reaction to t- turn off the cartoon. It's very well done. Both animation and uh, voice performance. Yeah, they, they give him his his, uh, his Oscar back. Bugs loves it. As uh, evil is defeated, they go back on... T- <laughs> well, actually, actually, I do like the line. Because, like, oh, thanks, kid. You saved me. Thanks for doing that. Cut the buster. Oh, you, you have done the same thing for us. Bugs <laughs> looks like camera. Eh, if you say so... <laughs> Yeah, that's that's very that's a very bugs very bugs yeah, very bugs like as um they go back onto the plane. Buster Patch like, hey, did we forget something? <laughs> Cut back to the prison. 
<laughs> I love that. I love. I laughed hard at that ending, honestly. As as Plucky screaming out from the bars, "Hey, help! Get us out! Get us out!" As we see Stanley just in there, like, "Ah, shut up, kid!" As a Daffy, he's making license plates. The end. The holds up at the end. Yeah. The end. Like th- this ending is despicable. Cut. It's great. <laughs> Beautiful. Oh man. All right. So I have some negatives. Yeah. I feel. And, you know, it's a funny because Colombo episodes are also notoriously like an hour or so. They're also pretty long episodes. With this, they were trying. I feel this story could have been great as an hour-long special. You know, more Looney, more Looney cameos, actual suspects, maybe some actual mystery behind it. Um, yeah. The situation... Like, also, you'd think for a situation where Bugs Bunny's gone missing, you'd think that'd be, like, a bigger deal. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like, uh, like, I think if they did this plot... Post Animaniacs, he's cut back to the Warner Brothers studio and plots is like, what do you mean? What do you mean Bugs Bunny's missing? Or ruined? Our cartoon industry is yeah, ruined. They, they play that up, yeah. You know, now it's just like, well, you know, he's missing. We don't... Yeah, but here, but here it's just, yeah, he's just gone missing. I don't know. We think, we think it's Daffy. Um, they sideline Daffy. I don't like projects that sideline Daffy. I'm noticing a pattern. I don't like it when projects do that, but I get it. It's not a story. The bits with Looney Tunes are great. Daffy's fun. Bugs's few lines he has are presented great by Jeff Bergman. The animation is a little sloppy at times, but hey, it's a TV budget. That's fine to a, to an extent. Yeah. To an extent. We'll see why in our next one. Jonathan Winters is the, is the uh, MVP, of course. He finds a great performance as this bitter cartoon character. He only had one real recurring bit and then uh, faded out into obscurity. Um, the, there's good stuff here. Not as good as I remember it. I feel the pacing was the base issue for me. But overall, not a terrible episode of Time to Adventures. No, not terrible. But, you know. I mean, look, I appreciated some things this one did, but it didn't wow me. It was an easy mystery that didn't even have many fun takes in the unraveling of it. Uh, Jonathan Winters was into it, but there wasn't much to the character other than what his performance was. And so many gags took the easy choice rather than just subverting like I would want it to. I mean, I like what this is as a sort of uh, parody of Columbo and, and doing those sort of gags and sending that up. And there are pieces of this that worked, but it was honestly just fine. You know, it, it, it did a lot without really being subversive or, or you know, defying expectations. It just sort of did its thing. And that's fine for Tiny Toons, but, you know, maybe it, I could have used a little bit more. <clears throat> yeah, so I'm giving this an animal rating of 3 out of 5. That's exactly what I'm giving it. Okay. So the other one we got, which was a couple weeks earlier than yours... Um, it's Hero Hampton, which was released on November 23rd, 1990, not the 25th or the 26th, the 23rd, we were so close. Um, I will say, this is a pretty big on this day, especially for me. Um, 
uh, on this day in 1990, uh, classic author Roald Dahl passes away. Ooh. Yeah. yeah damn. One of my heroes, honestly. Uh, I read a lot of his books in school. And so, you know, it's, it's I mean, yeah, hell of a career, but, you know, He's one of those guys that, like, whenever you made a, a... He's the anti-Stephen King. Like, whenever you made a movie of his of one of his books, he's like, ah, I sh- shouldn't have done that. Ah, I wouldn't have done that. He, the witches, ah, what's this tribe? I'm sorry. So, you know. But would he have loved Fantastic Mr. Fox? Oh, absolutely. Well, yeah, yeah, I would say yes, but that's mostly because I do. I mean, he didn't even like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, so, like, I don't know what he wants. I think he's just hard to please. Uh, number one song in the U.S. was uh, Mariah Carey's Love Takes Time, which is a rare early Mariah Carey hit that I don't know. Number one in the U.K., as I referred to earlier, uh, with the uh, the very Righteous Brothers heavy uh, re-releases, was Unchained Melody. That was number one in the U.K. this week because of Ghost. The one other fun fact I have about Unchained Melody is that it's apparently... One of Simon Cowell's favorite songs of all time. Whenever somebody would audition to American Idol with it, he's like, oh, I love that song. It's my favorite song of all time. And, you know, it's it's, it's such a boring fucking choice for an awful person. Um, Is there a funny clip where, like, someone sings it horribly? Because it, it's it's a, it can get a pretty big song, you know, mission near the end of it. Like, just, like, just Simon saying, like, no! Stop! 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 <laughs> Get out! <laughs> out! No, that would be funny. No, he'd probably just do it. He's like, well, that was horrible. You know, it's his usual shtick. You know, like, Ugh. you know. I'm not a Simon Cowell I'm shocked that he didn't sing um, that song during his ending Choice oh, yeah. in the uh, far, far away idol. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. But yeah, also in theaters when this uh, episode was released, in theaters were things like Predator 2 and Dances with Wolves and The Rescuers Down Under. So, oh, okay. Yeah, so that's. Go see that movie. It's yeah. a fun movie. It's, it's honestly really good. Yeah. No, it's, it, everything Pixar has done stems from that movie because that was the beginnings of the Pixar division. So. Directed by Gerard Baldwin, written by uh, Gordon Bressack and Charles M. Howell IV. Some of the only background stuff I have about this episode is that originally uh, (laughs) the runtime was too short. So um, this was one of the ones that was done by Encore uh, Animation. And so what they needed to do late in production, they had Kennedy Animation, another division that did some stuff for them, um, come back in and add some other sequences to pad the runtime. And and that's something that you get from a lot of this episode. It's like, all right, the runtime is a little padded. It's the opposite of last show where, like, it was very, very much fit into one 22-minute block. It's like, all right, we're, we're trying to stretch to, to fill 22 minutes here. Now, um, hmm. Correct if I'm wrong, Jordan. Was Kennedy Animation the one that, like, if you were to talk to any animation fan of the 90s stuff, they're like, oh, this animation studio sucks. Because I, I remember, think, like, I, I think it was that one. Don't quote me, but I think so. Yeah, don't <clears throat> quote us, but I'm pretty sure if you speak to any 90s animation fan enthusiasts, they're like, you know, a, TMS was the best. Yeah. No, they, they both did Batman. No, they're the reason yeah. why I look so damn cool. And then... 
if you got Kennedy, it it was gonna be fine. It'll yeah. work as a cartoon, but it's gonna look rough. And yeah. a lot of this episode, especially at the very, very beginning, is rough. Well, a lot of that was Encore as well. I mean, there's some of the beginning that was Kennedy, but a lot of that is, is from Encore. All right, then. It was Encore's fault, but anyways, yeah. yeah. Interesting note. I believe this is one of the first appearances of Shirley, but don't quote me on that. Um, it's not. <laughs> but, um, all right, so then uh, I'll, I'll, mention, I'll mention the thing I have with, with Shirley uh, when she shows up, but uh, it's interesting. So, all right. I'm going to go ahead and do it unless you have anything else. Isn't know. there a certain somebody who does a oh. very prominent role for the very first time? In oh, the yeah. Why we picked this episode? Oh, yeah, 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 right. Yeah, I was going to get into it when he, when he showed up. But, yeah, um, this cartoon is the first appearance of Bob Bergen as Porky Pig. When we said several weeks ago that he'd been doing this for 30-odd years, uh, 33. But, um, yeah, no, he, he was brought in. Around this time in the early 90s, you know, auditioned, got the role, uh, went through the final boss of Chuck Jones, as he's talked about. And this was one of his first times as Porky in a Looney Project and the first of many. So, um, so yeah, no, it's, it's interesting that we're, we're doing this one after we just talked to Bob a couple, several weeks ago. So, yeah. All right. After... Starting the cartoon with... All right, so... so um, how do I best describe something that doesn't really wow <laughs> me until the third fucking act? Um, all right. Uh, so this cartoon, this episode starts uh, with the... Surely, uh, we're not we're not fillering this episode choice of having Max sing... Ha- having uh, Hampton sing Happy Feet. Which... Sure. With, Fine. Whatever. With, with some really... Okay, what? Okay, so literally, we faded from the opening theme, and the opening theme is really well animated, because it has to be. It's the opening yeah. theme. And then <clears throat> Buster and Babs jump up from the screen looking... I swear to God, man, it almost looked like a Porky and Daffy meet the group. It looked like filmation quality for a little bit with how Buster and Babs are animated in some sequences. It's not perfect, but yeah, there's one of the, like the sequence, the sequence where they're jumping rope was provided by Kennedy, and there's another one in a couple of scenes that's Kennedy. But yeah, no, it's it's a little jerky um, starting out. But yeah, it's 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 Hampton uh, singing Happy Feet to himself as he goes off to the university, and we. Pretty much almost immediately go right into our plot, whereas there is a misunderstanding between Plucky and um, Montana Max, who, as we discussed last time, I don't like. Because as opposed to Yosemite Sam, who he's based off of, Montana Max's main characteristics are is bully and is rich. And there's not much more to him than that. And so he's our he's our main antagonist in this one. And this is a trademark conventional kid show plot. Yep. It's basically and like, yeah, it's... Listen, with the, even with the best writers, those are rough. Those are 
in order to do a really good conventional kids show plot, your characters have to be ironclad really good. And we're in season one. They're pretty well defined at this point, but they would get better. Yeah. So we're here, and it's kind. Of, it, it it goes through the motions. Yeah, I'll tell. I'll 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 just explain what this plot is, which is you know there's a misunderstanding and be, uh, between Montana Max and Hampton, and because of Plucky's big mouth, it turns into uh, they're gonna have a big fight, like a, a boxing match or something, after after school, and. Uh, it, it it's just like it, it's it's like okay it's a bullying thing and then it's like okay they're gonna fight and it's a misunderstanding and he wants to get out of it we've seen this in a million different shows and a million different movies before and and the fact that it's it's Montana Max as the aggressor like there's not much to him at all like at least if you had like Elmira as the aggressor there would be some batshit insane energy but here it's just like okay he's a bully and you know he's he's gonna be mean and not understand and he has money. And so, like, what else can you do? But I at least like, and one of the saving graces of this entire episode is Plucky in this. Because yeah. first of all, he yeah. refers to Hampton as Marvin Hogler, which is a very funny reference to the Marvis Marvin Hagler. Hagler. And then saying, um, after he already sort of sets up this, this fight that he's now promoting, he's like, I hope you have medical insurance. You better have a nurse on call, buddy. So <laughs> he's really well written in yeah. this one. But yeah, no, it's the whole thing where Hampton obviously doesn't want to do it because he doesn't want to get his ass kicked. And he sort of has this, like, fainting spell. And and also, around here is where we have one of the many annoying-as-hell appearances in this cartoon of the little Dodo character, which I I don't know who I dislike more, the Dodo or Max, because they're both just... The Dodo annoys the shit out of me. He's like, hey, I'm the hall monitor. You gotta get to class. Oh, it's also a way of like, oh, the plot needs to keep moving on. It's just really annoying. And, like, just showing up all the fucking time. But yeah, I, no. will see, I will say, I did kind of like that because I felt like they kind of squeezed in a Porky versus the Dodo bird subplot for, like, the first five minutes in order to give us some sort of like slapstick or comedy because a lot of this is very talky it's very talky in this beginning there's not a lot of slaps there's not a lot of jokes or gags going on and because that's all saved for the third act but <laughs> pretty much yeah it's but, uh, i mean i did laugh it because obviously the whole thing is that they all they'll go away and hide from the hall monitor and they come back and hampton sort of like fainted and I laughed at Hampton trying to pass off what happened as a dream, only to be interrupted by Plucky going, Pack your tickets for the big fight! Monty the Bowler versus Hammer and Hampton! Free sausage feed after the main event! Get them now! <laughs> that was I good! I like that! I love him in this. And also, the, the shot of Hampton sort of bouncing off of uh, Babs and Buster and sort of coming at us, that is Kennedy. That is that is uh, one of the added ones. It does have um, a good line there. Well, you could always change your name, move to a new town, start a new life. Why didn't I think of that? And he just runs a hook. Hey, I was just kidding. No, I like that. But but yeah, you know, we speed it along and we get him to class and we finally meet 
Bob's Porky, and while he's a bit more sped up than I'd like, he's got the character down here. And now class, for our cartoon prop lesson, open to page 23 of your whoopee cushion instruction manuals, and... It's, it's Porky Pig. It's very much like, yep, this is the character. And, and I will say I was a little bit worried because he, he has like two lines and then they cut to commercial. So there's a part of me I was going, I don't know the plot to this one. I would be really annoyed if that was it. I was, <laughs> I was like, but no, no, he comes back. Oh, of course, he's pretty pivotal in this. Uh, he goes, yeah. yeah, yeah. So around here, I realized a couple of things. Main, I mean, there's another thing I'll, I'll point out later, but around here, I realized something. So um, this is going to sound like an unrelated tangent, Mark, but have you ever seen the movie Three O'Clock High? Sounds familiar, but I haven't seen it. Okay, it's a great movie. Uh, it is a mid-80s, I think, or maybe late-80s movie that is, it's a very simple plot, and it's almost exactly the plot of this, where a high schooler accidentally gets into a misunderstanding with a big trunk-headed bully and has to fight him after school. And what's great about that movie is it's almost in real time where we follow him in the anticipation of the fight, trying to avoid it at any time, getting through the anxiety and seeing him in all these different classes and with all these different people trying to, you know get out of this and getting himself in deeper and deeper shit until we get to the actual fight. And it's actually a really well-handled and really well-progressing story. And it's a really cool movie that more people should watch. Mark, you have any idea who produced that movie? So why do you bring it up? Because the guy who produced that movie also produced Tiny Toons Adventures. Oh, wait. Was that Spielberg? Spielberg produced Three O'Clock High and made it a point to hide his name so that it wouldn't be like, oh, Spielberg presents this movie. He wanted, he made sure that there were no name actors in it. There wasn't a name director. The biggest name in the movie was the cinematographer, Barry Sonnenfeld. And okay. he made it a point. And it didn't do very well at the box office. It, it gained most of its money back as a cult classic on video. But he made it a point that it wouldn't be branded with the Spielberg name a lot like movies like The Goonies and, like, Cocoon and other things. I, I forget Poultry if Cocoon is actually Spielberg. But, um, but, yeah. So, it was a Spielberg production, which makes me wonder why Tiny Toons didn't use Three O'Clock High as a blueprint for this. Now, maybe it's because it wasn't very well known. Maybe it's because it hadn't been that long since the release. Maybe there wouldn't be enough people that would get it. But, I see that movie doing this structure a lot better than this episode did. That's why I bring up Three O'Clock High. Again, if you haven't seen it, it's really good. It's on cable ever so often. A surprisingly really nice movie. So, instead of doing that, we do some the other loony guys try and give Hampton tips to help him fight gags. Some of them work. Like, we have this jump rope machine gag that Plucky gets him through. And it, it, it feels like any standard cartoon gag in the situation. I do like the settings going from difficulty levels to blender settings. I like that. We have Buster and him in the ring. 
and Buster's working on his footwork. And it's a rare moment in this cartoon that actually feels loony, because we just follow his footwork and he's bouncing all over the place. And and you just have this sort of like wild energy as, as Hampton's sort of just circling rings around him. And and Buster like throws some gum on the mat and he just, just sticks him and we see him like literally spring at us and come back. It's a really, it's a very loony gag that works really well because it, it sort of allows itself to be like the originals rather than being like any other cartoon. It felt very bunny hugged, almost to the point yeah. of the background right. even looking a little bit like it. So uh, yeah, that was nice. I like that. Oh, little. And then, okay. So now I'll bring up Shirley. Because this is the first episode that we're covering that has Shirley in it. And I realized something about Shirley today. Shirley is voiced by Gail Mathias. Uh, Gail Mathias did a lot of um, voice acting for the numerous uh, Warner Division uh, television shows in this era. A lot of 80s and 90s stuff, especially 90s stuff. Like, she would do Cow and Chicken. She'd do stuff for The Tick. She'd do yeah. some Animaniacs voices, obviously, some Spider-Man stuff. Before all of that, she was best known as one of the many replacements that NBC booked oh. for the sixth season of Saturday Night Live. So the 1980-1981 season, for those of you who don't know Saturday Night Live, uh, after the 1980 season, everybody left. Lord Michael was producer, so he left all the great people from the 70s. Left, uh, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, uh, Gilda Radner, John Belushi. They all left. Um, and so NBC wanted to keep the show going, and so they hired a new producer, Gene Domanian, who was a friend of Woody Allen's. That says everything we need to know about what she wanted. And she booked all of these new, Wait, you know, the new was, Saturday Night Live. Okay. Going. She booked all these all, new talents. And well, some of them actually worked, you know, okay. like Joe... Piscopo and... The new... Sorry, guys. They, they actually said that. The new Saturday Night Live. <laughs> oh, my God. That's death. Yeah, that's it's the new Saturday Night Live. Because immediately, yeah, when you say that, you're immediately going, was, oh, this is the new one? dead on arrival. Well, I'm automatically going to compare it to the, to the, the last year's. It's only been a year. And that's People exactly weren't going to forget after a year. They're like, oh, what the hell happened? No, they're going to turn on and go, they're going to turn it on and they're going to go, where's Bill Murray? Where's Dan Aykroyd? Who are these fuckers? And that's basically what happened. And so, like, th th there were some people that they hired in this era that worked out. You know, you had Joe Piscopo over there for a while. You had, um, uh, basically nobody else except for this one 19-year-old they hired as, uh, as a writer that would, you know, I, not much would go on, uh, not much would come from him and this guy named Eddie Murphy. But, um... Yeah, uh, Gail Mathias was basically booked as the Jane Curtin type for this cast. And, you know, all these unknowns on there, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. Charles Rocket and, and Gilbert Gottfried and Jenny Dillon. And she was given a lot to do. And one of the... And the thing is, is that her big character on, on the show was this uh, Valley Girl type. Sorry. Named Vicky. I thought she yes. was in the... Uh the whiners. My bad. No, 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 no. That's Robin Duke. She, she's cool. She, she's, she's the second city person. She's cool. Um, no, no. Gail Mathias, her big character was this valley girl named Vicky. And that was the extent of the character. She's a valley girl. She talks like that. She talks in a valley girl voice. And because that's really what the extent of a lot of the characters were in that point where it was like, okay, this character is from New Jersey and that's it. You know, this character, uh, these are two old Jews that kept getting that keep getting off track, and that's it. 
it's not like something like it's not until something like Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood that we get something that's complex from these guys. But yeah, Gail Mathias, she did this Valley Girl character. She's asking you if you've missed your period. <laughs> Earth to Debbie, hello. <laughs> and was off the show after like six months. Uh, putters around Hollywood, gets voice acting gigs, and. Now, as Shirley on Tiny Toons gets to use that Valley Girl voice again and puts it to a bit better of a use because, all right, this Shirley Duck character has this sort of Valley Girl voice and she's sort of aloof and not quite getting it. And it actually kind of works for her. So Gail Mathias was kind of repurposed for the good of this project. So, you know, it works. But, um, but yeah, that, that was what I realized about Shirley Duck today that I hadn't really occurred to me before. If your chakras are aligned and your aura is at peace with your karmic center, no enemy may harm you. Holy Shirley, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, and there's not much of this gag they had with her where she's trying to teach Hampton uh, how to meditate, though I do like the punchline of it where Hampton's aura punches Hampton in the face. <laughs> That's good. But yeah, none of this works, and oh, we're getting closer to the big fight. What's Hampton going to do? Is he going to be scared? Of course he's going to be scared. Oh, what's going to happen? And now, you said that Bob's final boss to get to this cartoon was Chuck Jones, but Mark, his first ever scenes as Porky are alongside Don Messick. Like, okay, kid, you and Scooby-Doo do some lines. Go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You get in the ring with Scooby Doo. Oh, by the way, for those who, for those who don't know the uh, the Bobby Chuck Jones story, because it it's a great story. Um, brief summarization: they do all these auditions. They're like, okay, we think you're pretty good. You have one more audition. Come in, and then he just comes in, and there's Chuck Jones, mm -hmm. and he's of course like starstruck, like holy fuck, what the hell? Just like, well, look, go ahead, do, do the voice, like, like yeah. It's like you're telling me to perform in front of God yes. here, you know? It's kind of, kind of which, yeah, yeah, that, that, that fits. Exactly. Like, okay, okay, person who's been, who's been watching Looney Tunes all his life, here's the guy who made the best ones. Yep. No Go. pressure. <laughs> like, uh, no pressure. Okay, you got the job. Congratulations. Now, here you go. Here, there's Scooby Doo. <laughs> Have fun. You think he must have like you know, hey Bob, how's it going? Hey, hey Don, could you could you do Scooby Doo's, will you? <laughs> oh, thanks. That's all we need. You know. All right, thank you. That's all. That's good. I'm gonna leave. Yeah. It's, it's like us when he went into Porky. But yeah, no. Uh, this scene is exactly what you might expect, where uh, Hampton's very scared and doesn't want to do it, and Porky instills in him the kind of fatherly advice you would expect that gives him the confidence to eventually do what he does in the third act, and. This scene goes exactly how you'd think it would go. But the prop gags that set up the climax do help it a little, because he, he teaches prop class Porky. And all of these are, like, you know, breakaway chairs and, and, and all these, these, these fake barbells and these things that, that eventually Hampton's going to use in the climax. And, and having those sort of go off and break uh, while he's, he's explaining some of these things, that does help a little bit. But it's, it's standard. Yeah, I... I think the pacing could be a little bit tighter because literally all the jokes are like, listen, uh, eventually you'll figure out your melody yeah. and then beat, 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 Hampton sits on X, yep. beat, 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 camera phones up. 
then the piano drops. Yeah. I feel like it was just a da, 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 bang, and then go the next thing. But you know, got stretch out that runtime apparently. But yeah, no, that, that so yeah, there's there's more of that, and we eventually there's there's even more plucky lines in here. Where um where, where they're thinking because Hampton hasn't shown up yet and Babs and Buster are like well we should probably call off the fight and spoil my pay per view cable deal no way perfect perfect because again the whole thing is the, the 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 B plot to this episode and once you say it out loud it's really funny the B plot to this episode is Daffy becoming Don King <laughs> which is really funny when you say it out loud. But um, but yeah, the, 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 in order to, you know, give more stakes, uh, Babs and Buster take Hampton's place initially, and as in, in as Mata Harry and like the Masked Avenger or whatever. But um, but it distracts a little bit from the fact that it should be Hampton doing this. And oh no, now Hampton sees his friends are getting hurt, and he says, "Oh no, not my friends." Yeah. I should have my conventional yep. kid plot. Yep. <sighs> but I will say, because again, I guess as more things, as they're getting bounced around in the ring by uh, by Max and his droogs, another great plucky line where it's like, it's terrible. It's awful. It's profitable. I mean, painful. It's profitable. <laughs> that, that's the best line in this whole so thing because that's such a good... It's... Okay. The best pluggy lines, Ren wise, are wandering go. That could also be a Daffy Duck line, and that's a pure Daffy Duck line. You would absolutely it's so say good. that. I love it. Again, Plucky is the MVP of this one. But we get to Hampton stepping in the ring, realizing what he needs to do to intimidate Max, which is to make himself look like this impenetrable wild person with all the with the help of all of these fake props. And I kind of love Hampton's show of things in the end, where they make him look really intimidating and use all these different, like, flashes of light and then all these, these feats of strength. And, yeah, again, Max and his droogs get the hell out of there. Yeah, and Don Messick does a fantastic yeah. performance. He is really good as, like, yelling, angry, uh, poor, angry uh, Hampton. But, um, but yeah, no, um, and what's, what's great about this, not only does he win, but... He explains to Babs and Buster at the end, no, no, it, it wasn't it wasn't this. It was um you know, I used all of these breakaway props. And Babs and Buster still think it's a win, even after they learn that. And I love that as a moral. As Plucky comes down with all the money, like, yeah, yeah, we did a great show. Here's your cut. Gives him one dollar. As uh Porky comes in and uh, <laughs> Porky uses the money to uh pay for all the props that were injured in the, in the making of that climax, including the dollar he gave to, to Hampton, which he tries give, taking back. I, I love his line, this never happens to Don King. Yeah. And and yeah. then oh, man. we get a nice as hell ending. Yeah, because it's, you know, it's 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 Hampton is the winner, and Hampton, I don't know what to say, and Porky's like, oh, you know, just this once I'll give it to him. Oh, I think you do. And he let Porky allow it, and again, this this speaks to the whole we're learning how to be loony plotline at this entire show where Porky gives Hampton the keys to the line he always says at the end of cartoons and you see the joy on Hampton's face when he finally says that that's all folks and it's a really wonderful ending gosh I don't know what to say Porky except when do we eat I can't believe you think of one of the thing Hampton why don't you say it 
Really? Can I? Sure. Go ahead. Go ahead. And knock yourself out. That's all, folks. It's so nice. It really is. It's so nice. It's like, hell yeah. So, um, this had a sore start. And had to overcome some really cliched plot and villain tropes that you'd seen on a bunch of cartoons before. But the third act made up a ton of time. Not just for the stuff with Hampton and Porky, but also the climax and all of the different things that were done in that climax to make this, you know, a really useful cartoon other than just like, oh, we're doing the things that usually get done. I wish the rest of this was as strong as the third act, because the third act is excellent. But there are some decent ideas hiding in it, and I love Plucky's character as the sort of Sado Don King in this. I think it lifts a lot of things, but yeah, it's not perfect. And, and having Max is the having this be a really easy oh you have to fight the bully thing doesn't help it at all. Yeah, um, this episode had its heart in the right place. Uh, the story was good. Animation was rough. <laughs> like even for season one, yeah. it was rough. Bob's great as Porky, pretty much out of the gate. I mean, he sped up a bit in the, the very beginning, but when he talks to Hampton, they, they matched it perfectly. It's all good there. Plucky's the best character in this because he's very much written. And this I find so fascinating but about um, Tiny Toon and Little Versi when that comes out is with Tiny Toon Adventures, Plucky is, is very much, he's just Daffy again. He's Daffy 2.0. I'm very interested to see what they do with Plucky in the new in the new show. You know, like, are they just gonna do Daffy again, or are they gonna put some different personalities into it? I don't know. It's. So, I, I think that any way they do it, I think it'll be interesting. But um, this one, yeah, it's not perfect, but it still had a great ending. I'm giving it a three point five out of five. I'm giving it a three out of five. Yeah, it, 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 the ending gave it another point five points because, like. Very good ending, but yeah. See, the only thing that would have made it better, the only thing that would have made it better, and this like there was an alter reality where Mel was able to do Tiny Toon Adventures, and so like Mel voices Porky, and then Bob voices Hampton. That would have oh been my god, that ending that would have been so damn good. But yeah. oh well. All right, let's see what you guys have to say about this epi- these two Tiny Toon Adventures episodes. All right, our first comment is from uh, D-Man the Captain, at D-Man the Captain on Twitter. A couple comments here. It says, uh, it's funny to me how limited the, the animation in Hero Hampton is for the majority of it. And then there's that just that one scene at the beginning that someone clearly went all out on making fluid. Yeah, no, we, we talked about that in the episode. Um, the randomly amazing animated one that was uh, added late in um, production. It, it's definitely a lot different. It, it's palpably different. Yeah, I I didn't like that because it, it just made it look like like the cheap animated stuff that they were trying to um, not emulate at, at yeah. that time. Uh, but yeah, he also says uh, on on the topic of Who Bucked Bugs Bunny, he said uh, their parody of Sydney leaves me scratching my head. In the short Sydney's Family Tree, there's a gag where a coconut hits him on the head, and they reenactment reenact it in the episode over and over as if that gag is every is in every Sydney short when it was just the one time. Yeah, I think um, they were just uh, flanderizing and and taking the microcosm of of one of the th- the the one notable things about the character and making it the entire identity of it. And I, th- I think that worked out for this. And I think for the purposes of making a good villain for this, I think it worked. But 
I can see why that could be a bit annoying if you're an animation historian, which we sort of are, yeah, but not I mean, quite. Yeah. Just for the one specific brand. Um, no, yeah. but um, I will say in regards to that, it, it, honestly, it would be like if someone was going to make a Dependent Freeling parody and they had every single character sound like Colonel Rimfire. <laughs> it's like that. It's like, how You about keep bringing him up talking? recently. I don't know. I don't know why. I have no reason to. I just do. You, you don't have a reason to. Uh, I'm coming here from uh, Josh Gordon at Joe Go the VO. Who says um, that he loved Bob, Blue Bob Bunks Bunny, but there's one thing he doesn't like about it. It drives him nuts when cartoon elephants talk through their nose. Oh, okay. This also happened in Ben 10 Omniverse. Yeah. I think they were just going for something that would look the funniest rather than would be the most accurate. Yeah, I think it was also like more like simple to animate, yeah. if I had to guess, you know, instead of just having to animate the mouth and also have, make sure the nose is in place the entire time and have the nose covering the mouth every time would be just a nightmare to animate. Yeah. Uh, we have one here from Zexilla Warthog Man uh, at Zexilla End uh, who says... Hubak Bugs Bunny was a great episode for me to watch because it is funny and has mystery in it too. Hero Hapton was great as well because it was actually good in my opinion. Uh, he's, he's one of those people that's been with Looney Tunes, uh, who's, who's loved Looney Tunes as kids. He says, Tiny Tunes rocks. We are glad that Tiny Tunes fans have found this, even if I may not be the hugest Tiny Tunes guy. I have a comment here from Zach Wolf at Wiley207 who says that Who Bob Bugs Bunny has a great storyline and a great villain, but otherwise has some of Candy Cartoon's worst animation. Save the bits, John McClahan animated. And um, and, and as we, the whole reason we did the episode, uh, yes, and Hill Hampton is the first episode in production order where Bob Bergen voices Porky Pig. Yep. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Uh, we also have a uh, comment here from I underscore Rex at Iranosaurus underscore Rex, who says that it took him decades to realize that those but that the Bugs Bunny episode was a homage to Hoover and Roger Rabbit. At least that's what I thought recently. Yeah, you get that impression from the title, but it's Colombo. Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, like it's it's hard for them to really like wholly reference it because it's not something they're making fun of, and also it's something they had at least a piece of, but like. In their own way, it's still like a mystery, and they could still use that name and, you know, feel at home without like making fun of anything. I think it's safe enough. No, no, but they did do an episode. Um, I think it was in the first season where they were doing a bit. I saw this on Twitter where there's a moment where they're doing auditions for new characters. Like the first character, like they shoot them for far away and then from the back, but it's clearly supposed to be Roger Rabbit. Oh wow! Like, yeah. Come on. I, I need the gig. My wife is gonna leave me. Then they just like explain. They just put a trap door on him. They're like, nah. Which uh, it's you kind of ballsy to do to the reason you guys exist, guys. Um, we also have a, a comment from um, El Avatar de la Conejeta, who's a, um, a, a a Babs Bunny fan from um, from a Spanish speaking country, who wants to tell us and. I, I'm using my uh, my long dormant Spanish abilities for this one. Lo único bueno que vi del segmento de Hero Hampton sería la interacción entre Porky y Hampton. Basically saying, you know, you really uh, this person really likes Hero, Hero Hampton, especially the scenes where Porky and Hampton interact. 
Yes, absolutely. It's one of the strengths of that cartoon. It, it, it's supposed to be the old generation being Porky with the new generation being Hampton, but it's also in a way where it's the old generation being Don Messick, being the new generation being Bob Burgett. So it's a nice little way of seeing those two interact and bouncing off of each other. And I'm glad that it can appeal to any language. Yes, uh, congratulations for being our first Spanish comment. Uh, Muy bien, sí, sí. Our, our, our appeal has crossed continents. That is crazy. Amazing. Um, all right. And over on the Instagram, we do have a comment from a fellow collaborator and uh, all-around good guy, the uh, Pemmy and James podcast, uh, which is, uh, I believe, run by, uh, by James Irish, who says, Hero Hampton has always felt like a case of early installment weirdness when it comes to Max's corner men. Calamity and Dizzy. Oh, yeah. I know they were intended as generally antagonistic characters at the start, but as the show went on, Dizzy became a lovable party animal, and Calamity is luckless, sympathetic figure who frequently assisted Buster and Babs with plot devices. Perhaps I'm biased because Calamity was the first plush you ever won at Amusement Park's Midway game, hmm. which, oh, okay. That's, That's cool. They, they, they made a plush of every character, apparently. Yeah, no. I love that you could do Tiny Toons, Carnival Plushes. But you can't help feel empathy for the guy as the show developed, and he can't even catch a brick with a simple game show buzzer. No, it's interesting, because I think this is before they really knew what they were doing with a lot of these guys, and before things yeah. evolved and things changed. So, And I think they also just need people to play his droogs in that. Uh, long story short from him. Uh, oh, there's more. Oh, right, yeah. yeah, yeah he... He, he put that in there himself. Then okay. I'm, I'm, I'm being uh, Seeing them gleefully assisting the Ron to the core, Max juxtaposed with other episodes from the same season can be jarring unless you have a rough idea of how the show evolved fairly quickly. Yeah, no, yeah, that's the weird thing. That's the weird thing with Max because you know at the very beginning they're like, oh, he's our antagonist. You know, Bugs had to send me Sam. Buster and Babs has Max. And very quickly they realize that Max isn't funny as a bad guy. So like, yeah. okay, let's do stupid rich kid jokes instead. Yeah. There's a much more. No, there, there's better Tiny Toons villains. And... Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I will say, I mean, I mean, if it, it was into this, our, our huge Tiny Toon Adventure fans, it's because I'm pretty sure we're going to come back to them uh, sometime. Um, if you know any good, like, Max episodes it's just to give him something you know because i feel bad you know like every max episode we've seen of his been just like well he was the worst part of the episode like yeah no like is there one good max is either the lead or the co-lead episode of Tunes? let us know yeah you know we want to paint him in a good light if that's even possible exactly All right. Thank you so much, everyone, for your comments this week. Look, I'm glad that we had enough people on here that um, appreciated, you know, the, um, the the Tiny Tunes ones. Because, like, you know, because sometimes we, we put something out there and it's like, oh, we don't hear much back. But, like, there's, there's a lot of you out there that really like Tiny Tunes, and we appreciate that. Uh, before we get to what we're doing next week, we just want to take this opportunity to thank the people that have subscribed to our Patreon. People such as Triscrew... Andrew, James Irish, Sam Adams, the, the guy, not the drink. They have, um, have helped us out by pledging anywhere from a dollar to $5 on our Patreon. 
and they get perks like being thanked in the middle of an episode in addition to their commentaries that they get that we record as well as early access to episodes and handwritten letters from me and also playbacks of live streams. So if you want to become a patron just like those four that I thanked in the middle of this episode, you can follow our patron at patreon.com slash TNQAF. All right. We got a movie episode next up. It's, well, seeing as we just did two Tiny Toons Adventures episodes, seeing as there was a very well-publicized uh, directed-to-video movie by that same crew, you figure we should probably do that one next. Yes. Yeah, so for next week's episode, we are going to be taking a look at Tiny Toons, How I Spent My Vacation. That's right, the word summer isn't in the title, even though it so clearly should have been called How I Spend My Summer Vacation, but whatever. What's great about that is that, like, it's it's an episode about, you know, what we did on our summer vacation, and we're releasing it, like, I, in August, yeah. yeah. We're releasing this on the week that I'm actually going to be on vacation, so it's, it's very funny that... Um, but yeah, no, so that'll be just at the end of the summer, uh, and it'll be the perfect time to talk about a, a good summer ones before we get into the uh, the dregs of uh, more non-summery things. So yeah, yeah, you know it's so funny because and then the week after after that episode comes out, I'll be a- on vacation at <laughs> I'll be on vacation at Peacock. No, um, <laughs> what? No. I hit the wrong no. button. Darn. Um, <laughs> so yes, yeah, so stay. Uh, yeah, so. Stay tuned for that Tiny Toon Adventures movie coming next week. Alright. So, that's the end of this week's show. Follow us on Twitter. You can follow me at ParkHalem1995. And you can follow me at TallGuySchmidt. I'm also under the same name under on, uh, on Blue Sky. And we're still figuring out if we should be on Threads. Maybe we are? Yeah, you know, uh, we're not abandoning, um, but you know what? You can also follow us at that underscore loony, both on Twitter and Instagram for, uh, for giving your comments or updates to the show. We have plenty of lifeboats available for our social media presence. Yeah, you know, Insta's not going down anytime soon. You can also keep following this podcast wherever podcasts are readily available. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Player FM, Anchor, Amazon Music. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post little clips from episodes, uh, including some visual help from our... Because now we're recording video and during during recordings. Uh, Those come out every couple weeks. We have some fun ones planned. As I said earlier, you can also find us on Patreon and support the show that way. And you can find us there at patreon.com slash tnqaf. All right. So until next week, I'm Mark. And I'm Jordan. And uh, I'm going to go get my pottery wheel and listen to the Righteous Brothers until next week. Good night.